Private lending, I feel like, suits me and who I am and my skill set in terms of banking and real estate and finance and lawyering. I think that it all suits me pretty well. But yeah, you're right. Among the alternative assets, private lending is more risk averse because you lend money to a real estate investor and you have a first lien on the property. So you're secured in syndicating apartment buildings like what you guys do. You can make more money for sure. Absolutely. But I make 12% return on a secured investment and it's more risk averse, but it's good. It suits me, I think, both my risk aversion and also my skill set. Welcome to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Blue Oak Capital. If you are looking to take your real estate investing to the next level and learn how you can achieve your financial success by investing in multifamily real estate, then this show is for you. Our mission is to help you improve your education and learn proven strategies from industry leaders to help you master multifamily investing. Now here's your hosts, Cody Laughlin, John Beatty, and Brian Alfaro. Hey guys, Real Estate Cody here, and I want to welcome you back to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. But before we get to the show, Brian and I are extremely excited to announce that we have launched our next investment offering to our database. Now, this is our second acquisition of the year, and we're really excited because this is going to be a unique opportunity for our investors to benefit from in-place cash flow day one. And I'm going to say that again, in-place cash flow from day one. But most importantly, this isn't about the asset type. This is about our investing thesis. At Blue Oak, we look for real desirable hard assets that are in highly sought out locations that have great risk adjusted returns with solid fundamentals to support it, hedges against inflation and tax mitigation incentives. And this opportunity checks all of those boxes. So if you wanna learn more about our investment offering, I want you to text DEAL, D-E-A-L, DEAL, to 832-743-1400. Again, that's text DEAL to 832-743-1400. And Brian and I would love to talk with you. Now to the show. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Real Estate Cody, and flying solo today. My good old pal, Brian, is unfortunately under the weather today, so you have to forgive him. But I am very excited to be here in the hot seat with a very special guest, somebody that I had the pleasure of connecting with through a, a very good mutual connection we have here. With us today is Mr. Michael Fordham. Michael is the founder and president of Silverado Lending. And so let me tell you a little bit more about Michael. Michael has over 20 years of banking and real estate experience. He practiced corporate and securities law for 18 years, including with investment banks, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, New York City, and Credit Suisse. Uh, Credit Suisse. Awesome. Yeah. For his own account, Michael has syndicated multiple New York City multifamily property investments and has purchased and improved single-family homes, land, and multifamily properties. Michael founded Silverado Lending as part of his passion for real estate investing and Silverado is a private lender funding loans for real estate investors, primarily in Texas and Utah. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, we primarily actually fund in uh, Houston, where you are. Yeah. All over hey. Texas, but in Houston, a lot. Everything's bigger and better in Texas, man. We, we love it. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a great place to do business. It's fantastic. It's really good. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the rest of the world knows it as we continue to run into more and more competition from out of state. But hey, that's 
it's all for good things. So, Michael, it's, it's great to have you here on the show, man. Looking forward to our conversation. Uh, we had an opportunity to connect probably a couple months ago through our good friend, Alex Bashirs. Just a beautiful person. We absolutely love Alex. So, any friend of Alex is a friend of ours. So, glad to have you here. Thank Tell you. the listeners, man, a little bit more about your background and, um, you know, how you found your way into Silverado lending. Sure. Well, I, I was a corporate securities attorney in New York City, what people call a Wall Street lawyer for a number of years. And that was really fun. Uh, I worked on some really heady uh, transactions, uh, helping companies that were listed on the New York Stock Exchange. That was really cool. But on the side, I was um, looking at investing in real estate. Uh, my first foray was uh, I was looking in Northern Manhattan where there was a lot of um, change happening. And I ended up after a, about a year and a half of research, it took me a while, right? Because I was a lawyer and I didn't ever think of being an entrepreneur or investing. And, you know, it took a while to get in this head. But eventually I purchased this uh, old abandoned building. It was just like 25 by 50, four stories plus a basement. And it was literally abandoned because there were trees growing out of it, right? And And then I got renovated it to the point where you could stand in the basement and look up to the sky. That's how gut renovated it was. And it was a great experience. I learned a lot about real estate finance, about um, construction, and then eventually about being a landlord because I rented out the units and I was very happy. I got the highest rents in Harlem at the time because they were nice units. I mean, they weren't too fancy, but they were nice. They were big and they're right next to a subway stop. And that was a really fun experience. So I did that. And then I was still working in a law firm for a number of years. I did some investing in Harlem and the Bronx multifamily with uh, a friend of mine, a fellow investor and did that. And then eventually it's kind of a, a common story in some ways, except for that every, each person experiences themselves. Eventually I got the guts and had enough funds where I said, you know, my number two favorite thing to do as a profession is be a lawyer, but my number one is managing my own real estate investments. And so that's what I wanted to do. And boy, it took me a long time to figure that out, but, but that's what I did. And then I started uh, Silverado Lending which is a private lender, a friend of mine who's in Houston, very successful house slipper, very successful real estate investor. I met him when he was just starting, or I talked to him when he was just starting. And he said, Michael, I think that you should lend me money to flip this house. <laughs> and he also said, I, I think you should consider private lending because I think it would suit you. And since then, he told his friends and so on and so on. And so now I have a, a good group of, of experienced borrowers that I lend to, and which is always growing with, with new people who are just starting as well and have and lend out my own money plus friends and investors' money as well in terms of help investors lend money into these into these loans and make a good return. So that's that's a short story. That's exciting, man. That's awesome. Love the love the development path there and, and um you're listening to more about your start. Now, I want to go back to if we can kind of start at the beginning of your career, you know, like you said, as a quote unquote Wall Street uh, attorney, you know, being in that world, living in the world of equities and seeing these corporations go to IPOs and, and things like that. What was it about the equities market that maybe had turned you off to pursuing that as an investment vehicle? And then looking at alternative assets like real estate, for example? Oh, that's an interesting question. So when I was working at JP Morgan, I went to the floor, the trading floor a couple of times, and I saw PhDs in math, physics, finance, et cetera, making the trading, putting together the programs. And it occurred to me, you know, all these people who think they're smart when their stock goes well and then feel so bad and like they're so dumb and have such regrets when they don't go down, 
I, I think that's a little bit absurd in almost all cases because the market does what it does. There's people a lot smarter than me who are doing different things. And my belief is that that equities will go up, the stock market will go up and down. But the way to assure your profits and know what's going to happen, it really depends on you and not someone else and not the markets as much is uh, real estate investing. So that's how I came to it. I mean, prior to leaving my law firm job, I mean, I almost 100% out of equity, out of the stock market, right? Because I believe in real estate. It's much better, so much better. Yeah. Well, obviously, I think we share the same thesis there. Yes, we're obviously we're, we're, we're real estate guys, multifamily guys. But, you know, it's interesting. This is kind of a timely conversation. So I just concluded reading a book called Big Mistakes. And mm-hmm. this book studied some of the world's most historical figures when it comes to investing. And most of them, or all of them really, were all equities-based investors, right? And what was interesting is the lessons that were portrayed in the book were their hardest financial lessons or failures that they made. And in that, it was so interesting that the common thesis, which you just highlighted, is like, look, you could put every algorithm in the world, you could be the smartest person in, in whatever room or an industry, but you can't impact human behavior, right? You can't affect other people's behavior. That, that's completely outside of your control. And that's the one thing that I think people just unfortunately have to learn the hard way, especially when they're playing the equities market. It's the world's largest casino, right? You're, you're gambling. Yeah, right? You absolutely, can think, absolutely. Try to make a determination on where you're buying and whatnot and, and hope that you're selling at a later date for higher value. But really, you can't. I can't impact what you feel about a stock, Michael, or what's going on in the world. I just don't have the control. And so very similar to you, I was fortunate enough to recognize that early on in my corporate career and, and yeah. looking at alternative assets outside of that. And, and it's unfortunate that we always we always compare real estate to equities, right? There's always the, the battle of the, yes. of the two and which one's better. But I think for us at this show, our core thesis is like, look, we want people to understand financial literacy. We want people to have an understanding of how the wealthy are generating and preserving their wealth. And that's by having diversification outside of Wall Street. You may not have to fully divest from Wall Street, right. but having alternative assets in your investment portfolio to kind of hedge against some of those downside risks that you have that come with equities and such like that. So yeah. no, I'm 100% with you. You know, it's so when I was working on Wall Street, you know, what's interesting is uh, Wall Street is a little bit snobby about investments that aren't the equities market, right? The bonds are equities market. And that's that's where we get the term that you're using, alternative investments. I mean, think about it. Basically, they're the investments that that they think are the most important, and then there are all oh, those alternative offices, the other stuff, right? Right. And so, I've, it's it's almost a little bit pejorative, right? You know, negative saying the other stuff. But yeah, alternative investments, while not fully appreciated in the equities market, are yeah, I'm 100% with you. Yeah, it's so much much better investment. It can also be a lot of fun too. Yeah. Well, well, let me ask you, Michael. So go, looking back when you were going to make that first purchase of that abandoned building, like you said, completely vacant, was there any type of nerves or hesitancy in stepping out of what you've known, you know, this world of equities, that was your entire career? Was there some reservation in kind of stepping out of the box, so to speak, and taking that first investment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I spent a year and a half walking around Harlem, walking into buildings where I shouldn't have been and talk to the contractors and the owners who wanted to kick me out. I mean, it was just, I, I spent a lot of time doing it. So I felt like I had it, the information I needed. But let me tell you, when I when I finally left law to do this full time, 
the other attorneys that I was working with thought it was nuts. I mean, nuts. And the reason is because when you go to law school, basically you learn about how things can go wrong. Everything go wrong, go wrong, go wrong. So you become super risk averse. And I'm still more risk averse than I think most real estate investors, but happily, not so much that I can't invest and invest well. So in answering your question, absolutely, I had I had concerns. I mean, I'd done my research, but you know, honestly, at the time, I didn't know what I didn't know. And in some ways, just like the stock market, sometimes you're a little bit lucky when you're when you're starting out as well. And because that's true, if I may add, uh, you need to have extra ability, extra funds. You need to have extra people who are helping you because, uh, but I was really lucky. My first deal was amazing, incredible. I found this great contractor. He was a former architect from Hong Kong. He was the best to work with and we got it done. And I bought it at a great price when there was a increasing market. So, but yes, a lot of nerves. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, and I think that's a reservation that many people have, right? Whether you had an interest in real estate before or not, no matter what your background is, is making that first investment is always the most difficult. Whether you're a passive, active investor, whatever strategy you're doing, it's the first one that's always the most challenging because, like you said, you've got all the what ifs going through your mind. Well, what if I'm buying at the wrong basis? What if this goes wrong? What if the market turns? Or I don't know what I'm doing. But there's an opportunity cost there for not taking advantage of that first opportunity, right? If you didn't have guts, so to speak, to, to make that first investment. And just like you said, I'm going to go figure it out and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, you would have been in a completely different path to this point and whatnot. So excited to hear that, man. That's what it takes. It just takes getting past that first barrier, which is taking that first step and making that first investment. So in that same transaction, though, you, you know, you, you put in the work, you found a good contractor, you got the building turned around, you were managing it. What was the inflection point where you realized like, hey, this is my new career path. This is this is what I want to continue to do. What was that inflection point for you in that deal? Well, it was almost immediate in terms of this is what I want to do because it was so, I found it so, the process fascinating, exciting, the purchasing, the design, the finance, the, I found it, the whole thing fascinating and a lot of fun. It was, it was invigorating. Um, honestly, in terms of deciding it wanted to be my career, Took me a while because I was very risk averse and needed to have that, you know, well-paying job to live the lifestyle to which I'd become accustomed, you know, that whole thing, you know, going on good vacations and all that. So yeah, it took me a while, Cody. It took me a while to to be brave enough to even think it and then to actually do it. So I mean, sometimes I I could say I regret I didn't, you know, move earlier, but I also had really good experiences. So it's, you know, it's hard to say. But the answer to your question is it took me a little while. Yeah, I've got to imagine, right? It takes it takes everybody a little while to get comfortable with it, and it comes with experience, right? And the more that you you more that you do it, the more that you're involved in investing, and you see the power of real estate and what a, a real estate portfolio can do for you. Confidence starts to build, and as you get more confident, then you can start right. making wise decisions and continue to grow. But in speaking to your risk aversion, was it your risk aversion that led you more into founding? Silverado lending and getting on the lending side versus continuing to acquire and manage assets or talk to us about that influence on your business. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. The private lending, I feel like suits me and who I am and my skill set in terms of banking and real estate and finance and lawyering. I think that it all suits me pretty well. But yeah, you're right. Among the alternative assets, private lending is more risk averse because you lend money to a real estate investor and you have a first lien on the property. So you're secured in syndicating apartment buildings like what you guys do. 
you can make more money for sure. Absolutely. But I make 12% return on a secured investment. And it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's more risk averse, but it's good. It suits me, I think, both my risk aversion and also my skill set. Well, and I think you're highlighting something that's very important. And this is a point that we hit home over and over and over again, because it's so important. And when investors are starting, whether you're doing lending, residential, commercial, doesn't matter. It's so important that you figure out who you are as an investor, right? What is your investing thesis? What is your investing appetite? What is your risk adverse, right? I mean, some people are a little bit more or less risk adverse and they could take on a higher degree or lower degree risk just depending. And so really you have to have that well-defined so you can really make better sophisticated decisions for yourself because we see it often, right? Where people get into opportunities that weren't a fit for them in their investing model and they become a very frustrated investor. And then that's never a good situation. So, and especially like in the world, like what we do in multifamily, where these are liquid investments. So you're tied to an investment for three, five, seven years sometimes. So that's a long time to be frustrated if it's not ideal for you. So, yeah, I mean, you have to be able to sleep at night, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's exciting, Michael. So so talk to us a little bit more about the private lending space then. You know, you started Silverado Lending. Like you said, you're lending out to investors that are looking to, I guess, acquire. Are you doing more short-term lending on fix and flip type properties? Or are you doing more longer-term lending? Talk to us a little bit more about your business. Yeah, so I most my bread and butter is fix and flip lending. So either that or where someone improves the property and they hold it for their own portfolio and then they refinance it with another funder, right? So most of my funding, they're they're mostly six-month notes, six-month terms. Sometimes it'll be a lot quicker to, to turn the property and sell it, which is fantastic before they even make a mortgage payment to me. And sometimes it will take a little bit longer than, than six months, just depending on the property. In addition to that, I do what is called transactional funding. People in different parts of the country call it different things. So that's what I call it. But anyway, what I call transactional funding is where someone wants to purchase a property one day and then sell it another day. And so I lend them funds for those two days, three days, whatever it is, week. And so those that's my bread and butter. I have the ability to do long-term funding as well, but my, my bread and butter is these short-term quick loans in and out. Got it, got it. So let's talk about your borrower selection here. And I think there's there's some transferable or relatable skills when it comes to what we do when, when investors look for a sponsor to partner with in syndication, right? It's all about the person that you're partnering with. And on you, the lending side, it's all about the borrower who you're lending out money to, right? So how are you going about selecting or deciding that, hey, this is a qualified borrower that I'm comfortable lending to? Right. You know, until recently, I was only going by recommendation, which was really sweet because someone would say, hey, this person is a fellow real estate investor, fellow flipper. They're really good. I'm going to have them talk to you. So that was fantastic. But then recently, I've been meeting people on the internet and people call me and that sort of thing. And so that's been an interesting experience. So I have to, I mean, some of it's gut. You know, people talk about betting on the horse or the jockey, right? So the horse is the property. That's really important. The value in the property, because the number one rule of private investing and any investing is don't lose, don't lose your capital. That comes before profit, right? So I, I try to look at them and see what they're doing. I get proof of what they're doing. I look to see what they've done in the past. If they're just beginning, I look to see that they have proper assets. So if things go awry, they can they can handle it. And honestly, it kind of depends on the person who calls me and what they tell me. One guy called me and told me he had all these meetings where he has people come and talk about real estate, but he'd never done anything. You know, it's kind of weird, right? So that didn't make sense. But then I talked to another guy 
He's uh, actually an immigrant from Africa, and he'd done a couple, and he sounded like he knew what he's doing. He sounded like a hard worker. I got some documents from him, and boom, made sense. So I just lent him about two months ago, and he just uh, got in contract just now. So he did it really quickly on his first loan with me. That's exciting, man. That's yeah, that's so, awesome. so I heard three things in there. So I heard credibility. Yeah. I heard experience. And then I heard communication, transparency, right? Yeah. Those are the three things I heard. And, and I think that's so important, right? I mean, everything that we do in our business, whether lending or what we do on the syndication, it's all relationship driven. And those are the three key principles, I think, that are, again, translatable across all verticals in our space. I mean, if you don't have confidence in any of those three, that's not going to be a very good partnership or alignment. So, Right, right. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking the other thing is humility. The people who say I've never lost money or I actually have heard there's no risk in this. That doesn't, that world, that doesn't exist anywhere. I mean, in anything. So humility is the other one. Short way of saying that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very good point. Well stated. And uh, going back to one of your remarks you made earlier, you know, listen, we've all been a benefactor of a very bullish real estate market over mm-hmm. the last several years. We are now in a time where you're really going to see where experience shines, right? I mean, most of us, I would argue that are in real estate have not been around long enough in real estate to have gone through economic downturn cycles, things like the Great Recession, things like that. Okay, so we had COVID, but even during COVID, I I said the same thing. I think that you're really going to see true operators that have the experience and the, the grit to really manage these properties effectively. And I think we're kind of coming into a cycle now where that's going to be highlighted as well, right? There's a lot more headwinds that we're facing with, with the rise of cost of capital, influence on the Fed policy and how that impacts the demographics that we're either you know renting to or selling to, lending to, whatever the case may be. So I think it's a, this is a crucial time for people to really focus on experience when it comes to getting in these transactions with people. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the big risks, apart from just generally interest rates going up and prices going down, for in my business is refinance risk. Because mm-hmm. I loan to someone, they expect they're going to keep it, they're going to turn it into a, a short-term rental Airbnb, and they need to be able to refinance and still make money. And the refinance rates are going up. So we have to do the calculation to make sure that they've thought it through. As you're saying, experience is really important. And a lot of us haven't gone, and a lot of people we work with haven't gone through a big recession, right? So I work with operators who I think are, I don't want anybody to fail. I get calls where I could make a loan, but I know that it's not going to work out. And there's no way, that's not my business. I don't want to be involved. And uh, I mean, meaning that I could loan, it could fall apart and I could take the property and make money, but that's that's not my business. I want to work with people, like you say, who are experienced and, uh, and also humble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got to imagine from the lender side, you're on the lending side because you probably don't want to be the ones actively going out there and having to find a deal, acquire the deal, renovate it, try to sell it. Whatever. Like You're in the senior position because very strategic because you want to be there, right? You want somebody else to go do all the work. You obviously get your return off that and then you move on from the property and everybody you know has a great day. So that's important. So so talk, let's expand on that a little bit more. Then I want to go back to your risk aversion then, because you know you're having to be very selective right now. And and given what we're talking about with this market cycle, what are some other hedges you're putting in place to protect yourself and your risk going into these transactions? So I used to just six months ago, I was lending at about seventy or seventy five percent loan to value of the ARV, the eventual value of the property once it's fixed up. Now I'm going more to 60, 65%. So that 
allows a significant decrease in value and still I have my lien and, and the value there for me. That's number one. Number two is I just think about it more. <laughs> so in the way, that's honestly, that's what it is. I think about it more. So if something comes in, I, I spend more time thinking, hmm, how's this going to work? What's his plan? Is he going to be able to refinance? Because before everybody can refinance, everybody can sell. The market's going up. They can make all sorts of mistakes and it forgives everything. So I spend more time just kind of going through the deal and thinking about what could happen more. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that, and um, I'm smiling because that is exactly what's happening across the lending institutions as a whole, right? Where you're seeing leverage is coming down, uh, you know, 60, 65%. Really, I would argue closer to 60%, just depending on the type of deal you're executing, the type of debt. And then you're also seeing uh, lenders becoming very, very selective, right? Looking more into the details and getting into deeper analysis into these deals to make sure that their risk is being mitigated to a point where it's, they feel comfortable. We're seeing that across. It's impacting us on the multifamily side when we're trying to go acquire deals. Um, Absolutely. You know, we're having to underwrite for those factors and, and lower leverage and such. And uh, it's making things incre- increasingly difficult. But I would tell people, whether you're it's residential or multifamily commercial, if you look at some of the world's best and long-term real estate investors, a lot. Ken McElroy is a great example, right? I, I had the pleasure of listening to him at a conference earlier last year. And uh, Ken said, look, my entire portfolio of $1.5 billion worth of real estate is levered at 60%. And you think about that, and leverage is our friend in real estate, right? We all love leverage. It gives us the ability to go acquire assets at a certain price, whatever, with less capital we have to bring to the table. But it also increases our risk the higher leverage we have. So right now, in a in we're cycle we're in, Michael, we're working with you guys like yourself who say, okay, I'm going to give you 65% leverage. It makes things tight on the acquisition, or at least it makes it harder because now we have to go find more capital. But it also reduces your risk to a degree on the borrower side and on the execution side. So I think there's some middle ground that you have to find there. But I think I would encourage listeners to to really pay attention to that is being lower lever really is a great hedge against some of the risk that you have, especially in a very bullish cycle like what we've seen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just me that wants to have the larger amount of equity in a building. It's much better for for borrowers and real estate investors. And that's part of being good at it. It's not just thinking, woohoo, everything's going to go great. You know, having money in it and paying a, a lower loan amount, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it'll be your friend. It'll be, you'll be much better off. Yeah. yeah. I seem to agree with everything you say. <laughs> <laughs> you, you say it more articulately, honestly. But then, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. <laughs> now, hey, man, everybody should agree with me on this show. That, yeah, no. <laughs> your show. No, but it, yeah, no, you articulate it well. Yeah. No, listen, I, I've spoken a lot often about my experiences in the past. And, you know, I've had a rocky start in my career. I've made some very expensive mistakes along my journey that cost me well over $100,000. And I've lost some potential income earnings from that. And so I've gone through some of these mistakes myself, even in a short career compared to others to know that, uh, hey, it's painful. You don't want to make those same mistakes again. And so I read a quote in that same book I was mentioning to you, Big Mistakes. And the quote was, don't mistake brains for a bull market. And that's why I wanted to highlight what we've seen now. I mean, you would really have to really, really screw things up to not be able to make money over the last couple of years in real estate, right? I mean, home value appreciation has been through the roof, you know, rent inflation, asset valuations and commercial things like that. I mean, everything has just been up, 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 up. 
you know, with what would seem would be in perpetuity, right? And then people have gotten in and made some significant mistakes, but the market has carried them through those mistakes and everybody has still been able to make an exit and everybody's happy. But I don't think we're in a circumstance where you can afford to, to let the market carry you now. You know, the market is working against this. And so you're going to be left exposed if you're still operating under that same philosophy. So I think it's important that people really pay attention to this and, and really pay attention to their business and how to properly execute in a more sound, fundamental way. Because, you know, ultimately people are going to get hurt you know, through this upcoming cycle if they don't pay attention. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So recently, especially my my investors, you know, because I, I loan my own funds, but I also loan um, friends and other investors funds, help them loan the money into these uh, with to these real estate investors. And, uh, you know, they ask me questions about risk. And I spend a lot of time making sure that you have to just be super careful in terms of your loan to value and, you know, the jockey as well, the the, the operator. Yeah, I'm giving them great. Well, anyway, I'm giving them great returns. But but as I said, the number one rule is is preservation of capital and uh, you know, experience, and we'll see how it falls out. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Michael, tell us what's uh, what's in the future forecast for you. That as the goal to stick with just Silverado lending and, and kind of the same thesis that you're executing on now, or is the plan to expand your private lending into other type of strategies? Well, for me personally, what I'm doing is is probably twofold. Um, number one is I'm growing Silver Auto Lending. So one can loan and just a few loans here and there probably won't take you that much time once you know what you're doing. But what I'm trying to do is grow the business into something larger to manage a, a much larger number of dollars, basically. And so so that's what I'm doing, number one. And it's uh, it's really fun. Because I'm a lawyer, I think I've taken way too long to do this because I get I get situated and think, oh, this has to be, I need to understand this. I'm not good at flying from the seat of my pants, which is a negative, but it's also positive sometimes, right? So I'm doing that. And then also I'm, I'm opportunistic. I mean, I'd love to find some more multifamily right now. So just personally, that's, I mean, as you talked about earlier, you need to have diversity of of uh, income and of of assets, right? But mostly, awesome. I'm, I'm working on growing this this fantastic business. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, man. Hey, they, I think there's a there's a very strong position when you're when you're talking about being on the lending side and being like you said in that senior position. I mean, ultimately, our lenders are the biggest partners in our deals, right? And so, having a guy like you, Michael, and over there at Silverado Lending that are you know executing and and partnering with people in deals, I mean, it's a great position to be in. So. And and right now, when we talk about an inflation hedge, right? I mean, when you're kind of you're talking about the velocity of capital, where you're getting in and you're transacting in a, hopefully a three to six month timeline, you're getting capital back plus return, and you're just you know rolling it into the next one. I mean, what a what a great way to kind of keep up with the pace of inflation, right? So yeah, yeah it's uh, a super risk um, hedge, absolutely, because you can change the market because your notes are so short, right? Your your investments are short, boom, 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 little investments. That's good, awesome, love it, man, love to hear that. So. Well, all right, Michael. Well, man, I really enjoyed the conversation here. And uh, this has been fun, man, learning more about your background. And I hope the listeners definitely take the time to connect with you, especially any of our friends that are tuning in that are still executing in the residential space. So happy to make some connections for you there. But uh, before we go, we have three more questions for you that will wrap up, okay? Okay, here we go. All right, ready? Yeah. So what do you like to do for your continued education to further your own investing? Um, read. But I also like working because I learn a lot just doing. That's that's number one, but I, I like to read. Yeah. Awesome. What was that one moment of time or maybe one event that 
looking back at your your career, really changed the trajectory of your business? That that gut renovation of that building in Harlem changed my life. There are several things that changed my life, and that that was one of them. Absolutely, that that was so cool, so fun, so invigorating, so educational. It was awesome. What's funny is you can see it on your face, man. You just light up when you talk about it. That's that's that awesome. Is, it was so cool. It was awesome. All right, Michael, what advice would you give to the listeners to help them grow their businesses? I would say kind of what the tone of what you started with is very important in terms of alternative assets, diversifying, finding a good operator, finding someone with experience, doing research, trying to make it fun. Because at least in my experience, you have to enjoy something to do it and do it well. And happily, I've enjoyed what I'm doing in most, in most not all cases. So my perspective is find a way to enjoy learning about it and then seek good operators and diversify. Yeah. Great advice, man. Great advice. All right, Michael, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and Silverado Lending and get connected with you. Sure. Uh, My website, our website is silveradolending.com. And uh, I mean, you can just call me. My number is 646-406-1115. Awesome. Michael, really enjoyed the conversation, man. Really appreciate you joining me today. I look forward to staying connected with you and seeing Silverado Lending grow to be one of the premier lenders across the country here. So thanks for tuning in with us today. Thanks, Cody. It's really fun. Appreciate it. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by Blue Oak Capital. To learn more about Blue Oak Capital and how you can partner with us, visit www.blueoakinvests.com. Tune in next time. 